0: This is the Straight Dope Podcast. Today I'm going to talk about bridges and anchors. They're concepts that many of you are probably familiar with and many of you are probably not familiar with, so I'm going to go into them. They're not necessarily connected directly, but they're related and they've come up in conversation a couple of times this week and I figured why not talk about them. And before I do, I want to thank Mile High Shooting and Utah Airguns. Those two places, essentially if you want precision rifle or precision air rifle uh, products in general, you should check those spots out. Now, people that subscribe to RifleCraft, have, <clears throat> they have a, 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 another podcast called The Subcast. I'm going to be going into the same topic, Bridges and Anchors, with drills, exercises, and some metrics to talk about. So if you're a subscriber, then... Uh, expect that one is coming very soon to that about, you know, exactly what to do, but this is going to be a general discussion about it. And those of you who are motivated, self-motivated, and or getting coaching or classes somewhere else, then uh, take it and run. But I think it's a fun conversation to talk about. And so I'm going to do that uh, here in a second. The idea of shooting a precision rifle is nested in this concept of flinging this thing consistently a long distance, and like most of us know, the idea of a cone of fire being small enough to hit a small target at distance is pretty remarkable. And so, those standards of accuracy and those standards of consistency, they increase with distance, assuming that we're shooting, you know, relatively small targets, because that cone continues to increase as things go out, and when you try to appreciate a really good shooter and their ability to hit things that are far away. I think that is often overlooked, that they've got a cone of fire that's consistent enough to do that stuff, as well as the mental and physical and environmental skills that go into that. But how do you even bring your cone of fire down so that it's essentially pointed or fills up, you know, the whole cone is inside of this target area that you're trying to hit. And people talk about that with all sorts of shooting, even, uh, you know, the idea of anchors come up with archery. But trying to be consistent and hold that muzzle and do all the things such that the bullet doesn't fling outside of that width of the target is is pretty, uh, well, it's common to have issues. And it's a complicated discussion because... Every shooter has a different ratio of ingredients that are going in and contributing to that cone of fire. One of the things that I see right off the bat with a beginning shooter and and often a lot of advanced shooters is that the connection that they have to the rifle influences the point of impact that the bullet has. And so here's, here's a kind of a scenario that I've seen repeatedly with very good shooters. And sometimes they'll reach out and say everything was going fine, but all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if my zero shifted or the ammo sped up or my rifle sped up, but now I'm two tenths high and I'm always two tenths high and I'm shooting and, you know, the group is great, but it's two tenths high. What do I do? And obviously, there's a lot of things that you could do. Let's talk about a hypothetical situation where you have a zeroed rifle. And standing, kneeling, seated, prone, stressed, not stressed, everything that you're doing, your group is two-tenths high. Well, that's pretty consistent. If we mounted the rifle or did some kind of standard check, and we found out that the zero was actually two-tenths lower than your group, that would tell us a couple things. First of all, the rifle is zero, two-tenths lower, and the other thing that it's telling us is that you're doing something to the rifle every single time you break the shot to make that shot go two-tenths higher. And I, I hope that you don't want to argue with me about that. Uh, some people might say, oh, well, you're shooting at noon and sun's up, gun's up, or you know whatever the sayings are for the sun and, and, and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm going to kind of skirt around that and, and some of the other things that people say. But I guess my answer to that shooter is if, if always and predictably – and you're never gonna sometimes get shots that go two ten- or on the actual zero. You could probably get away with changing your zero, and taking two tenths out of your dope, and from that point on, those angle, those linear changes are going to be uh, relatively consistent. And and so I think I think that's interesting because you know you're you're I mean that's really what's happening, right? You're, you're consistently adding a two-tenth shift and it's consistent and repeatable. And if nothing ever changed, that, that would be okay. The, the other way to look at it is, you know, you wanna engage the rifle system so that you don't influence it and you don't change its point of impact from the one that it zeroed at. And I think that that's a little bit more interesting But if it was the case that no matter what you ever did, it stayed two-tenths high, it'd probably be pretty safe to just continue shooting and change your zero. The thing is, it was zeroed, and then you noticed the change. And so that's where, uh, because otherwise, you wouldn't have known it to begin with. I think that people notice this because they zero in prone, and outside of prone, oftentimes, there's a consistent shift. And that's another scenario. So you say, oh, well, when I'm prone, I have to take out two tenths from my zero or, or when I'm not prone, I have to add two tenths or take out two tenths or... Man, I don't like that because we're doing something that requires a lot of thought. And if you're thinking about things like that, you're not thinking about the more advanced intellectual cognitive processing skills that are needed for high-end shooting. And you need to take bandwidth out of those simple things And put them into the things that matter because you only have so much bandwidth to pull off some of these calculations. And so the shooters that are worried about, you know, oh, I've been having trouble with my bag and I've been having trouble with my zero and I've been having trouble with all this stuff. You've essentially taken away bandwidth from the higher end stuff and you're just never going to be competitive with the people that don't have to worry about that. So the fewer things that you need to worry about the higher the probability of high-end performance is going to happen. And you could do that to a high-end shooter and see that their performance would go down because their mind was somewhere else and they weren't, weren't able to do the things that were higher level. So I've been skirting around this idea, but but I do think it's a really interesting conversation. It's probably one that all of you have encountered and all of you have seen or heard about, and it, they'll probably continue to come up. So what are those two things and, and what are the likelihood that they happen? Well, Troubleshooting people, you know, including myself and other shooters, and, and, and actually fixing this in a lot of shooters pretty quickly after identifying where it's coming from is a unique kind of case-by-case thing because what you're doing is consistent and it's repeatable, but it's something, right? And figuring out what that something is so that then you could stop worrying about it is kind of nice. And then if it repeats itself, you know how to fix it pretty quickly, and I like that because... I don't want to worry about my equipment and worry about doing things other than the application that that I'm there doing. So um, that comes to bridges and anchors. And anchors are the points that the rifle touches. And so a lot of times in a shot process, I might encourage a shooter to say, you know, where's your anchor? Like when you're building a position, like where's your anchor drill? Like have you indexed appropriately? Anchor points on rifles are the buttstock, the trigger hand. And a lot of times people put thumb shelves or thumb things, or they have an index for a finger and a thumb so that it's consistent every time. And sometimes um, people have that for their left hand, or they put their hand on the scope in a certain way, or they grab the, the hand guard and the bag in a certain way. And those are all what I consider anchor points. If there are small variations in those anchor points, they could influence the point of impact pretty significantly. And I think that Playing around with that is well worth it if you change things up. And if you don't, then considering how much are your anchor point consistencies contributing to your cone of fire, and that's something that everybody has to deal with. But the best shooters probably have very minimal imp- input or change from their anchor points to their cone of fire. And when I talk about the best people, we're, we're you know we're only talking about maybe twenty, tw- you know twenty thirty shooters that are so consistent that they could keep that group of fire very small, moving around and changing position and continuing to do that. And I think there's some tricks that I'll talk about that, particularly in the, in the subcast of, you know, why are high-speed precision shooters um, able to do what they're doing? And, and there's techniques that they're doing that minimize that, but it also outside of that discipline or outside of those particular stage designs, you could capitalize on that and make them perform poorly but in those contexts i think that they work very well and 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 knowing what technique works the best for the application is also a quiver kind of uh or or an arrow in your quiver or or, or a a, you know a tool in your toolkit that say like look this is one of those shots i'm going to do it this way as long as you know your cone of fire is consistent and so is your point of aim point of impact but let's get back to these anchor points they're they're essentially the touching spots, right? The the spots where your body connects to the rifle, and they're not um, the same for every shooter, and they're not the same for every application. But it could be your thumb, it could be your trigger finger, it could be the comb as it touches your cheek, right, or the cheek piece, or whatever you're going to call it. it. Could be the buttstock, it could be the scope or the ring or the mount or the night vision rail or the handguard. Any part of your body that's touching that rifle is an anchor point, and every thing that's touching it has to touch it consistently, or you're going to get variation. So think about that. I think that it's worth taking the time, you know, taking a picture of yourself or a video of yourself, and saying, "What are my anchor points, and do I know what it feels like to do it consistently?" And and if I have variation in my cone of fire. Could it be coming from one of those anchor points? It's, it's a well worth study. I think the, the best shooters probably don't need to do that. And the people that aren't the best shooters, they're probably influencing their cone of fire more than they think from those anchor points in one way or another. And it's worth an analysis because reducing that cone of fire reduces the input stress because then you're doing something consistently and repeatedly over time. I think that's well worth talking about. So that's the anchor uh, it, in, it, it is the inputs and outputs that I talk about. It is consistency, and it adds to a reduction in error, which essentially reduces your cone of fire. It doesn't take the system inaccuracies out of the picture. It takes the shooter inaccuracies out of the picture or the shooter inconsistencies, and those inconsistencies are variations in the point of impact. And all of those things can contribute to that cone of fire getting bigger. And if it's bigger than your target, then you're likely going to miss the target. But that's not the only thing that makes the cone of fire large, especially at distance. We've got wind variation and range variation and stress and time and those all contribute to that cone of fire. So the, the smaller the components, the bigger the budget that you get for those other factors. And ultimately as shooters, most of us shooting at distance The one thing that is the hardest to control and be predictable about is the wind. And so we want the biggest wind budget we could possibly get. And in order to do that, reducing everything else gives us more wind budget. So you might have a group or a cone of fire that's consistently, you know, a certain size. But if a lot of that cone variation comes from inability to read wind or wind variation, you want that in the wind variation budget because... Uh, you know wind is one of those things that, that changes and can cause an errant shot right or left because you've misjudged the wind and so uh, making an adjustment with a small cone of fire other than the wind is going to be an adjustment that is made correctly but if you've got a big budget and you make a miss that budget might have been shifted off the plate now now you've almost guaranteed a miss and um, you know I've talked about this in other episodes so you can go back and look at that. Now I did mention that some shooters like to zero their rifles prone. And then they get out of prone and they start shooting and they notice that there's, you know, they say, okay, well I zeroed it and I set everything up prone and then went to training. And, and then over the course of training, didn't shoot much prone. But for some reason, my my zero seems to have shifted because every position and every time I shoot, I'm two tenths high. And I'll say like, oh, check your zero. How'd you set your zero? Oh, I set it in prone. Did you shoot prone? No, I didn't shoot pr- shoot prone. Dang. Oh, the zero's good, prone. Aha! So you got a two-tenth consistent uh, shift, and it's coming out of prone. Now I'm not talking about gas gun shooters, because, um, but, but you can see that with the barrel nut and loading the bipod, and you're going to see that with this technique that I'm going to refer to as the bridge. But um, that's going to be kind of an asterisk. Like we got to talk more about things, and this episode is not going to be about gas guns and, and uh, the effect that you see with pressure that causes a a, a mechanical shift. I'm talking about uh, the the input of the shooter causing the shift, not a, a tweak in the system that causes a consistent shift. So just make a mental note that if you shoot gas guns, you could be having an, a mechanical shift which is different than, than the shooter shift that I'm talking about like you get from anchor points. I think that... You know, ultimately, if you have a consistent anchor at the buttstock, you should have that same consistent anchor at the buttstock and prone. And the best way that I've found to do that is is when I get prone, um, I put my sternum above the buttstock and I lift the rifle. Uh, you know, I leave the bipods on the ground, but I lift the buttstock up and I kind of arch my back a little bit and I connect it to my anchor point, the buttstock to my anchor point, and then I lower myself down, like almost from like a... Um, I wouldn't call it a push-up, but if you did a push-up, but you left your your waist on the ground so that your back arched up, I'll arch myself up like that, and I'll get the the buttstock connected to my chest, and then I'll slowly lower myself down into position, and and that's part of my process when I say anchor uh, or or bridge, and what that does is it puts pressure between the shooter and the rifle and that pressure holds the rifle up and you can you can shoot like that prone without a bag and it's actually pretty accurate and consistent if you do it right if you're on concrete it's very informative because you can't get the bipod stuck in the dirt and apply excessive force you can see this with people shooting in the dirt a lot with bipods there's these long lines that the the bipods have essentially dug out a track because they're pushing so hard they're pushing the rifle forward with their body. And I think that that's excessive force and that's going to contribute to a lack of precision and accuracy over time because you're adding a force that can't be replicated with consistency, other stress and time and other things. And so I do think that when you apply excessive force, I mean, if you were shooting a huge group that might bring it down, but then it hits a ceiling, like a glass wall where you're not gonna get more precision day after day by adding more force to keep it from shaking because that force is coming from the shooter himself, putting too much force forward that's not repeatable. So you're getting these weird variations of point of impact from those variations in force on the butt stop. That's my opinion. You could argue with me if you want to. I'm happy to argue about it. I'm happy to be um proven wrong, but but that's kind of where I stand with that. By doing the bridge, And getting comfortable with the idea on concrete or something slick that there is a, there's a minimum force that can hold that rifle buttstock up to my chest, hold it there so that when I move, it moves, when I move, it moves, but it doesn't push the rifle forward and I don't need to pull it back into me. And so if I'm watching somebody shoot prone and they have to pull the rifle back into their chest. And then they're pushing it and it slides forward. And then they pull it back to their chest. They're pushing it and it slides forward. And they're kind of playing this kind of tug of war with their rifle. They pull it back, they push it forward. They pull it back, they push it forward. There's going to be issues with their point of impacts doing that. But if you find that balance where it's just enough to hold it up with your body, now you've got this minimal force going in. And it's replicable under different physiological states. And that'll be more consistent over time. Then if you pull the bag in not to lay the rifle on the bag, but to support it from wobbling, you could be very, very consistent. The rifle will recoil into you consistently. You'll get a consistent point of aim, point of impact, and that's replicable. And you can practice that dry fire. Just just don't have it on something where the bipods are gonna be stuck such that you can put any amount of force into it that don't slide. Um, I like that a lot because then I know, oh gosh, if I feel it really pushing into my chest, I know it's too much force and I can back off and yet I back off, but the only support of the buttstock is coming from my chest, right? It's connected to my chest. It's just that, that, that some of us like that positive feedback of pressure, but if there's enough pressure for your chest to hold it off the ground without a bag, without your hands, that's enough force to create that bridge. And so you pull up the buttstock, you get in there, you slide down, the, the, the bipods slide forward a little bit, but... If you don't push too much, you fall into a really good spot that's really easily repeatable. And that's the thing. Like, we want a repeatable and consistent connection. And if you do that prone, and you get the feel of that, and then you have that same pressure in the other positions, chances are it's not coming from the buttstock. But it could. But I think that that consistency of the bridge is one of the things that people overlook is they say, oh, I'm just shooting prone. You know, it's, there's a bag, there's bipods, it's stable. But we influence prone point of impacts quite a bit. And obviously there's other techniques, but I do think that as a positional shooter and somebody that is really interested in positional shooting, that's, that's fundamental to have consistent from prone into the other position. So sometimes I'll say, okay, well, we're going to go prone and standing and prone and standing or prone and kneeling, prone and kneeling. We'll just go back and forth Make sure that those inputs and outputs are consistent. Now, I don't give a shit if you're shooting from a barricade or a log or a tripod. I consider them all the same. And I've heard people recently, I don't know why the signal-to-noise ratio has been going up, but people say, oh, well, I heard the tripods are different. And you know, we need to do things differently with tripods. Bullshit. Like A tripod's just an adjustable height tool. It's not different than a barricade. It's not different than a wall or a chair or the, the door of a car or the hood of a car. It's narrower for sure. But if you're consistent off of an object at a specific height, the cool part about a tripod is you can adjust the height that it goes to, but it, you don't shoot any different off of it. And the inputs and outputs should be the same. If you do something weird with a tripod, you might have to play around and develop a weird technique for it. But But if you're going to be... As consistent as possible, just treat it like any other thing. if you're going to put a bag on your tripod, then that bag it could be resting on anything right? Obviously, you want it more stable. but if you're pushing so hard that it slides your your technique is is too aggressive, and you're going to have point of impact shifts so um, you know I, to me, I think that tripods are no different than anything. It's just cool that you can make them different heights and you can carry them around. Uh, but but the techniques to shoot off tripods really aren't a whole hell of a lot different than shooting off of anything, and you don't need special techniques for that. Obviously, you need to be aware of the influences that the tripod can have on the shots and the influences that the tripod can have on stability and repeatability, and when you're clipping in, there's things that you need to be aware of, but you don't shoot different off of them, right? If you have to, You're not doing it consistently, and then you have to think about all of the things that go into that, and that takes bandwidth away from the high-level stuff. So if you're thinking too much about your tripod, you're never going to perform at the highest level that you possibly can. You need to be able to boil it down to principles that you do no matter what, no matter what you're shooting on, no matter where you're shooting from to the point where you don't have to think about it too much because you've trained that into a low processing function, but you get there by processing it. But I, I, I think that if you have to apply a different technique for different things, like a tripod and a barricade and a, and a tree and, and prone, you're never going to achieve maximal shooting potential. And maybe, maybe you don't care to, um and you like doing things different. uh And then You're on the right path. Do it all different. But that's not how I approach things. And so that's the idea of anchors and bridges. The bridges provide you with consistency and the anchor points provide you with consistency. And those consistent things are going to help you reduce your cone of fire and as a result, raise like your budget for wind. And if you can do all of those, you're going to have more impacts Uh, than you had before and I can show numbers and I can show targets and I could show shooter scores that I've helped uh, get from you know the middle of the pack to trophies different styles of competition from essentially approaching things like that and make them aware of the things that are causing errant shots and then making those things consistent and once those things are consistent then you can start building up higher level skills but these base skills get rushed through and not looked at right away. And and a lot of times, you know, they kind of eyes get rolled or, 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 or people feel like, well, that, that's too basic or that's too simple. Um, I want to work on something advanced. And my answer to that is it is advanced to know that this can cause point of impact shifts. And it is advanced to know the influences and the causes and the effects and being able to diagnose those faster uh, is a sign of somebody that has experience and skill. And, and I'm not saying that I have all the experience and all the skill, but as I've been learning to help work with shooters as a coach, I've been able to do that faster and faster. And when that happens, the consistency and the performance of that shooter, you know, on, on one instance might not be a hell of a lot different. But if you look at instances month to month to month, the average goes up and that average is an indication that they're getting better. Right. So that's pretty cool. And I'm excited about that. Um, I kind of hit that wall where my train of thought uh, skipped out of sequence. And so I'm going to stop talking about anchors and bridges. But if you want to talk to me about it, send me a message on Facebook or Instagram at Gun the Sun. You can send me an email at chrisrway at gmail.com. I like talking about this stuff and I like hearing from you guys. I don't don't know what else to say. I've been, you know, I've been focusing on coaching and developing other shooters because everybody has different niches and and I have different interests personally as a shooter, but it's fun to learn about the different things that go into the different styles, but not being able to do, you know, no one could be at the top of all of them working with good shooters in all of them gives insight to performance across and, and in it, like through those things, but also into other, outlets and it and it does help, so I think that that uh seeing this stuff grow and seeing those standards change is a reflection of a system that's that's really kind of congealing now and and so the coaching stuff uh is going well and and pretty soon there's gonna be a couple uh offerings and i'm gonna talk to the the subscribers the subcast a little bit more about this but um you know, getting together a couple of groups or or I don't want to say teams, but, but, you know, groups of shooters to implement a practice over an extended period of time and chart those guys as a group and see if that whole level of performance and hopefully some international shooters that are coming to the international competition here at Cameo next year and being able to kind of help them um, look at some of these fundamental elements, but not in a fundamental way because almost everybody can shoot well, but. How does the mind and, and expectations and then the setting, you know, being removed from this setting? You know, how does somebody prepare for an international competition at a facility that's unlike most facilities worldwide? How do you prepare yourself in the right way so when you come here, um, you could just do what you want to do and perform at the level that you normally perform at? That's hopefully what this um, kind of team program is going to reveal and I think we're going to have some good results. And hopefully we'll just compare it to what happened in France and see you know, how competitive different different teams and groups are. So th- that'll be a fun thing to talk about. But that's not for another year. And uh, until then, you know, it's going to be hashed out more and uh, it'll be kind of work mode. So I won't talk too much about that here. If you want to hear more like this, but with details specific, uh, and drills and metrics. Then the subcast is where you're going to hear that from me anyway, and and you get access to that by being a supporter of Riflecraft. Supporting it helps this podcast. So if you really like this podcast and you want to encourage it and have it continue, going to Riflecraft.com and getting a subscription helps because it and it, and it costs less than letting me shoot a magazine of your ammo at the range. And so if you did that, if you let me shoot your rifle once a month for a magazine. Um, less than that, and you'll support this podcast, but you also get access to another one and access to a website that gives you metrics and analytics. And so you can kind of raise your awareness of of measuring and quantifying some of this data. And so it, it it's, it's a really good way to support and join and also you know, get more, more ideas. But also it just serves as a great way to support this podcast, which has a lot of listeners. So I know people like it and it would be cool to see uh, more people get behind it and and vote for more episodes uh, with their wallets. But let's uh, sign off here and take what you can take from this and hopefully apply it to your shooting and get better. And I will see you out there. Till next time.